Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is the story, story So Farscape. Once again, taking a greatest hiatus, simulating the experience of having to wait and wait and wait for season four to finally come out. And we filled that by watching, well, it's a masterpiece, the 2009 reboot of Star Trek by J.J. Abrams. Right. Galaxy Quest. That's the one. Sorry, yes. I get those two confused because because they're nearly like, identical. Yeah, like it, okay, uh, Galaxy Quest, which is the thing that we're, that we're watching right now. This mm. is this is going to be my main thing. Well, one of my main things. I have a lot of okay. main things this episode because it's fucking masterpiece. One of the discoveries that I made while watching it is that J.J. Abrams really lifted a lot from this film. Oh, okay. So he's as many Star Trek fans are, a huge fan of Galaxy Quest. Because, right. I mean, it, there's a reason that it was ranked the seventh best Star Trek film <laughs> out of 12 in 2013. No, good point, good point. <laughs> and, yes, we've... This is a masterpiece! I, like, oh, no, absolutely. It's, it's been a surprisingly long time since I've, since I've seen it. Oh. And I'm just astonished. It, it's one of those films that feels like you've seen it more recently than you actually have. Yes, absolutely. I guess it's probably 10 years for me. I don't know. I, I remember originally seeing it, but that was like, yeah, in the early 2000s somewhere. I don't think I actually saw it when it came out. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I didn't, know. Because famously, like, Patrick Stewart initially didn't want to go and see it because he no. thought it was making fun of Star Trek. And Jonathan Frakes called him up and goes like, go see it on a Saturday night when the theater's full with, yep. with fans. And <laughs> absolutely, yeah, he absolutely loved it. Because it's it's a valentine to Star Trek and sci-fi fandom by extension in all of its wonderful silliness, which also goes for Stargate and, of course, our beloved Farscape. Which is quite contemporary with this. Yes, yes. I think we even mentioned it during the filming of The Ugly Truth, Mm -hmm. where everybody's, you know, acting various versions of themselves and they get to sort of play these hyper-real versions of, like... Most of the cast and crew had just seen Seen Galaxy Quest Quest, the weekend before, and that was fresh in their brains, so they got extra funky with it. We can do this, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Came out in 1999, directed by... Oh, I really should have these notes ready. Well, actually, originally, the director that was attached to it would have been Harold Ramis. You know him as Egon from Ghostbusters. Oh, right, yes. And he also directed Caddyshack and, more importantly, uh, Groundhog Day. Mm, Yeah. So it's conceivable that he would have done a very good job, and he originally wanted to cast Alec Baldwin in the lead, okay. who declined, and so did Steve Martin and Kevin Kleiner. And okay, well, I think they they, they, they hit pay dirt with, uh, oh God, I forgot his name now. Tim Allen. Tim Allen, yes, of course, yeah. Now, let's do address that Tim Allen is a, is a bit of a shithead. Yes. Yes, one of those delightfully like conservative, antagonistic to decency, and, ooh, yeah, not... I was going to say closet sexist, but there's nothing closet about, about that. No, 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 nothing about that, no. So with that out of the way, which I think is a lot easier to do with Tim Allen, even though he sucks shit, than it is with, like, Kevin Sorbo, who sucks the moon out of the sky. Oh, I don't, I don't know who's Kevin Sorbo. I mean, I oh, he was the Oh, he was the, the lead in Andromeda. Oh. A series that I have in the past considered doing for a, a greatest hiatus, but... I can't imagine watching that quit face and, and still fair. being able to have fun afterwards. Fair, fair, fair. Right. So, are we going to jump in, or are we going to like marvel about the movie for a little bit longer? Well, I mean, there's a lot to marvel at, because it's this, it's this fantastic... Pastiche? Yeah. I mean, 
I, I find it difficult to talk about exactly why it's so brilliant, mm-hmm. right? Because you can only really appreciate the, 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 the absolute genius if you have some awareness of fandom culture and, you know... Oh, yeah, I mean, you have to have basically seen Star Trek. Yeah, and uh, ideally been to a convention of some that sort. That would help, yes. Yeah. Uh, be it an, uh, an actual movie fan convention or an anime con or a fur con or you basically yeah. have to have had some sort of experience of what it is like to walk around in uh, yeah. Congress Center and have that, that fan atmosphere. Yes, and you have to have wanted to be there. Yes. Right? It's not enough to just have visited because someone that you knew is in. You have to have been into it and, and, and have looked forward to it. Yeah, or and, just be a D&D nerd or right, some, exactly. something along those lines. Yes. Fan in the, in, in, in the very broad sense. Because it starts off like it does this incredible transformation where it goes from really quite sort of cynical not very cynical, but still quite. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a certain disappointment in the shallowness and the pretense mm. of this level of fame that these actors have not sustained. No, uh, they've not clearly not gone to have luminous careers after they did the thing. It's uh, they've been gotten to be known for that thing, and that's yeah. where they kind of got stuck. And they didn't even get any other acting out of it. They're just like, yeah, they're running the. The circuit, basically, they do. They're doing the cons. They're doing the the little grift. No, no, not grift. The little um, the side gigs. Yeah, the side gigs. Yes, the the hustle to get a little bit of uh, ride on that old fame. Yeah, yeah. Really riding on their own. You know, the coattails of their past selves, and then it transforms. And I've often talked about you don't know when it happens. You don't know when it happens that you're watching this pastiche as it starts, and then suddenly you're into it. Like it happened at some even this time I couldn't I couldn't place my uh, put my finger on it I I kept making notes oh this must be when it happened when I you know became swept away by the adventure and no it's not it's not, it's not any one particular thing David Mamet famously wrote a book about Hollywood a famous uh, filmmaker screenwriter absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant in, in in so many ways uh, you know him from Wag the Dog oh God yeah that's another movie which really plays with uh, expectations right? and yeah. So he describes that there are four perfect films, and one of them is Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Out of all the films that Hollywood has produced, and it really is, which is miraculous, because so much of it is, is coincidental, was advice from another you know, filmmaker like, oh, Steven Spielberg, who happened to be touring the set, or just like some, some inspired input by one of the actors, or a poor response from audiences, you know, test audiences, mm-hmm to the tone which wound up and the result is perfection it shows what it's what it is it first it shows what it was then it shows what it is and then it shows how you can grow beyond that uh, oh nice and there's a character development in the characters but it's the, the movie does the same thing yes yes very good they start off as the actors, and then they get reluctantly drawn in. Sometimes there's the refusal of the call to greatness. Uh, very good, yes, uh, yes. And uh, then, then they get drawn in anyway. And but the movie does exactly the same thing. It has this. It, it has the same structure. Oh, that's brilliant! Yes, yes. The movie gets the call to adventure and rejects the call. Yep. And yeah. Then it goes, and then it and then it gets drawn in anyway, and then it turns out into uh, yeah. Whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. We have got to jump into this uh, into this movie, and you know this is one of those cases where I know that there are a few listeners who who tune in to these to our podcast not having seen Farscape, mm. which 
How does that work? I don't know. And I know that some of our listeners enjoy our banter while we're watching these greatest hiatai without having seen it. But this one, guys, this one, if you haven't seen Galaxy Quest, go see it right now. Pause this. Come back to it whenever. See it with some, some fellow fans, like... We'll just we'll just wait for an hour and forty five minutes until you're back. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Go into the black hole. <laughs> yes. We open with the fanfare. Yes. The the theme song for this show that nobody knows. And it and it they, they did a brilliant job on the music here because I noticed that all the time they try to sound kind of like Star Trek or kind of like stars. Yeah. And it's like they they, they it's, and it's not it's it's it's, not it's a unique piece, but it really conveys that that message. Yeah. Like it's even it's it's got completely its own tone, and like. Hearing this again after discovering that it may have been five or six years since I've seen the film, it's like just immediately got me back in the mood. Oh, I'm going to see Galaxy Quest. And it's it starts with pretty bad CGI. Yes. Of a ship. And then yeah, the bridge, which is like clearly a plywood set. It's very reminiscent of the uh, original uh, series Star Trek uh, bridge set. Yep. Yep. It's got a lot of. It's, it's uh, not quite as brightly colored, but it's a little. It's it's a little bit more dull and gray, and all the. All angles and corners and all the consoles are uh, yeah, yep. clearly just slapped together out of wood with a screen behind it. It's a weird sort of setup. Like, it's it's very much anti-Enterprise or mm-hmm. even Farscape Bridge where you have, like, a table near the screen. Like, they have a yeah. shot from the from the screen into the into the bridge. And, like, there's just a, a big dome in the front center. And then the captain sits on a, on a, on a raised dais in the, in the back. Right. And everybody else sits to the sides. Yes. So you don't have, like, the helm and con station, like, on the Enterprise where you have... Well, you have them, but they're kind of like... The helm is, like, left and below of the captain's chair. That's the only one that uh, has a, uh, a separate yeah. station. So here is where I put on my anorak. And I, this is my yeah. anorak voice because I noticed that at several times, uh, Laredo, who sits at the helm station, yeah. was referred to by different titles. He was also called Gunner Laredo oh, and Helm Laredo. I missed that. Yes, yes. Which may also be just he had different jobs throughout the series, much like Worf. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Right, I mean, Worf is in, there's in character development. season one of Star Trek The Next Generation, but his job is, eh? I mean, he starts off as just a generic lieutenant, and then he becomes head yeah, of security like when uh, Tasha Yar dies. Yep, uh, changes, changes the colour of his shirt. Roles, yeah. So... So I, I, what I thought interesting of this first scene is like ostensibly we, we're watching the a, a missing episode which is only ever aired once and yeah and it's structured as the end of an episode but it's still structured in a way that it introduces all of the characters. Oh yes, it, it feels much more like the beginning of an episode than the end of an episode. But this is of course done because it's the beginning of the movie. Yes, yeah. I mean, this is probably a structure that was introduced to genre television, yeah, 90s onward, I want to say, mm-hmm. where it was where you had cold open scenes that sort of felt like the end of a previous adventure. Right, yeah. And uh, yes, it ends with uh, basically Captain Nesbitt, uh, Nesbitt Nimbus. Nesmith. Yeah, Nesbitt. Nesmith. Yep. Uh, telling to activate the Omega-13, and then it's to be to continued, and it cuts to... The convention center. This giant convention hall, which is incredibly hazy. This is, you know, the before smoking bans were inf- enforced, oh, I guess. Oh, eh, 90s. Eh, probably getting there. I think it's probably from the special effects that they've been running. 
rows and rows and rows of fans in seats, a lot of them in cosplay. I had a whale of a time looking at this in HD because I recognized someone there. Like, when Star Trek Discovery aired, the yeah. uh, Klingons were sort of redeveloped and, yes. re- and redesigned. And there is a Star Trek Discovery era Klingon, definitely in the audience. He is dressed in black. He has this this sort of ribbed collar. He looks like Tukuvma. Okay. Wow. Uh, so they sitting- kind of must have, like drawn on that or just happened to get on that it's gotta be a coincidence it has to be yeah right it's gotta be or a shared like uh, reference it's it's a they're dressed in in black i'll i'll find the the, the sheep sitting next to queen amidala yes exactly that's the one not queen not queen amidala but i see exactly yeah so yeah so much has been drawn from this film because it's a it's a masterpiece and we're introduced to guy guy <laughs> who is the host who apparently has been appeasing the fans for over an hour and a half? Yes, uh, he was crew member number six uh, in episode 81, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Very died, good. <laughs> died before the first commercial break. <laughs> you remember all this, but not names. No, uh, no I, I, I love how your mind works, man. I'm so glad we're friends. And like, he's so excited to introduce the, the crew of the NSEA protector. And he looks off to the side where one of the stage managers is behind Makes the curtain. stretching motion. It's <laughs> like, no, stretch it out, stretch Keep it out. Nope. Uh, okay. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about this. Is. And yes, he's been basically keep trying to keep to keep the crowd warm, because it turns what a out. Job. Oh yeah, that's it must be a really tough job, because back in the green room, the crew is there but no captain. Now we've got Alexander Dane. I'm going to remember all of their names. Yeah. Who plays Doctor Lazarus, played by the late great Alan Rickman? I th- I mean, he kind of takes the cake. I mean, like, I mean, right. okay, I love Sigourney Weaver in this movie as well, but Alan Rickman is just Alan Rickman, and it's just yes. like... Yes. <laughs> oh, the absolute last thing that I that I saw him in before before his untimely passing was this... I forget what it was called. I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. To these super slow motion films of, like, a 13-second, like, event. 13 seconds. Mm. Stretched out to, like, 10 minutes. Mm. And then with some really dramatic music. So they took music from, I think, Inception. And it's Alan Rickman dropping a tea bag into a cup of tea while staring straight ahead and then smashing it aside and throwing the table aside. And this is stretched out over, like, 10, 13 minutes while he just oh, gazes wow. at you intensely. It's amazing. <laughs> That's an interesting way of... I mean, that must have been framed at an incredible frame rate. If yeah, you, uh, yeah. Damn, yeah. But yes, he's sitting there. He's, like, lamenting his life choices. He's, like... He has put his makeup on, which he apparently has to do himself now. He's which got he the, never takes on throughout the entire film. No, but you can see it getting distinctly ragged towards yeah. the end. It's like, his hair is coming out underneath. But, like, even when he's at home, yeah. he keeps the headpiece on. <laughs> it, a Sigourney Weaver as... Tony Madison playing Gwen DeMarco. Oh, oh look at me very go. very good. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver, who the filmmakers initially did not want to cast her. Oh? Well, they didn't want actual famous sci-fi people in it. That right. wasn't the, the Yeah, point. okay, fair point. But she insisted on a blonde wig that she stole after... After, the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story about that where she she t- she tells the kid... Well, you, I mean, you, I'm sure... Justin Long. Justin Long, His yes. His first film role, he's a brilliant actor. Oh, he's fantastic. But yes, she basically told just on the final day, final day of shooting, just walk off the set with your uniform. It's just like... Just steal it. Nobody's... Have, <laughs> they want you to return it, but if you just don't, they're yeah. not going to f- sue you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? They're still going to pay you royalties. Just take it and take it and walk. 
Oh, apparently Tim Allen, who's a piece of shit, but he was very starstruck when he saw Sigourney Weaver and he was a big fan of like Alien. And so mm -hmm. apparently like he brought one of his alien memorabilia for her to for her to sign, sign. It was like a piece yeah. of Nostromo. Nice. And she signed it stolen by Tim Allen, love Sigourney <laughs> Weaver. And he was very upset by that. Like, why would you do that? I was gonna put that in my screening room. <laughs> Uh, and finally, there is. Oh no! Oh, no I didn't too. look up his. Yeah. Yes, no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. Tommy Weber, Laredo, actor. Why don't I remember his name? Daryl Mitchell. Let Sounds, me see. What uh, else do we know him from? I don't know him from from a lot of stuff. NCIS, New Orleans, Veronica's Closet. No, I'm not very familiar with the gentleman's work. Hmm. He was not a character that I, I remembered a lot of, but that I really, really appreciated a lot more this time around. I think that he's, he's the key to sort of going from this, this pastiche to loving it. That's my, my current working hypothesis. Yeah. And lastly, there's Tony Shalhoub playing Fred Kwan... Ah, which is not actually his, his name. His name that he says at one point. It's yes, not even, very it's good. not even my name. Like... Who plays Tech Sergeant Chen, which is... I didn't get that until this time around. Obviously, Tony Shalhoub is of Lebanese descent, but he's sort of portraying the the tradition of casting European-descended actors as Asian or oh, uh, Middle Eastern I mean, actors. Oh, yeah, I suppose with a name like Chen should be that. Uh... Yes, and even like Fred Kwan, which is a... Oh, I'm not sure whether that's a, a, a Vietnamese or Laotian or yeah, a, a yeah. Korean. But, like, when he's on, when, he's, when people say his name, when people say Chen, mm. he squints his eyes as, as if he has, you know, uh, Issues, yeah. folds. Like, I, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, as if he's, oh, right, yeah. Right, as if it's the sort of, you know, the sort of squint. But he seems to forget most of the time until somebody says Chen, and then he goes, oh, yes. Uh. Oh, I didn't notice that. But Really subtle, but it's, it's But brilliant. yes, he, he is, I mean, ostensibly a complete stoner, because that's basically the he's vibe high that he... throughout. He's always snacking. In the opening scene, he's like desperately trying to get into a tin of biscuits and failing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's distracted by every vending machine. <laughs> he's got, like, a bag of nachos with dip in the, in the shuttle. He's yes. Got, <laughs> he's got queso stains on his uniform throughout. He's amazing. I mean, even, like, a uh, guy at one point... Are you stoned? <laughs> yes, of course. Dude, look, this is what high people look like. And, and one more actor shows up, which is Tim Allen, who plays Jason Nebs Nesmith, who plays Peter, 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 Peter. Quincy, 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 Quincy. Tiger, 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 Tiger. Jason Nesmith! Yeah! <laughs> the commander of the NSEA protector. NTE. Three two zero one. Did I get that right? Ooh, I don't know. Oh, almost. NTE stands for not the Enterprise, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who walks in an hour and a half late while while fans are audibly like devouring one another and the the uh, chanting, "We want the crew. We yep. want the crew." And guys just struggling to keep them on his side, and the actors are just so offended. And everybody is pissed at Nesbitt at this point. And uh, he won't accept it. No, because like, like, oh, oh God, that's here. He, he swaggers on in. Yeah. Uh, um, Lorenzo is, no, yeah, Doctor Lorenzo. Whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. Okay, pick a nickname. I'm not gonna mess with you. Just pick. I'm, pick gonna, I'm just gonna go with Alan Rickman, just because. Like, Alan Rickman. I mean, yes. Okay. His character is having a mental breakdown. It's like apparently he's got, he's got a massive cage of stage fright, and 
whenever he has to w- work himself up to this, there's a bit of a downtime. Mander. There he goes. Alexander, wait. Grab him. Grab him. There he yep. comes. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Which is a, I think, is a, a dig at Patrick Stewart, who who's, who's a thespian yes. actor. Yeah. Yes, a Shakespearean actor. Oh, yes. Originally, he was going to be credited as Sir Arthur Dane, and there was a plotline about him being knighted. Uh-huh. And Alan Rickman sort of vetoed that, uh-huh. because that would be hugely inconsistent with his, his character. Like, he's the one who has not gotten the plaudits that he believes he deserves. He should have, yes. Right, he, and if he were knighted, that wouldn't be there. I think he's still quoted as, like, Sir Arthur Dane in the credits, so oh, Rickman okay. didn't quite get his uh, way. But, hey, at least his name got spelled right. Maybe, maybe he got it later after this. Unlike Justin Long, who plays Brandon, who was at one point credited as Brandon Long. So, like, his oh, whole name doesn't even damn. appear in the credits of the film. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, so... We're introduced to this really fucked up codependent relationship that, that these people ha- have. Yes, they they are the crew, and they always show up together. They always do their like appearances together. Except the team turns out that Nesbit has been like they hate him. Yes, everybody. Yeah, they all hate him. They um, can't get work without him because involved he's the, because he's the commander. Exactly. And even worse, he gets little work that they're not in on. Like yeah, he has this little schnobble that that he doesn't let the others in on. But uh, like at the same time, it also introduces you to like Arthur Dayton like grabs a coat and runs out because I'm not going to say that stupid line one more time. No. Oh, was I too late for his meltdown? Oh no, apparently not. There, there he goes. goes. Yeah, <laughs> he's the one who's able to talk him down. Yes, right. I- I'm not doing it, and nothing you can say can change my mind. Show must go on. Damn you. <laughs> Even though, like, he's a he's a terrible shithead, and he's very... Uh, I mean, this is kind of a like an exemplar of certain types of abusive relationships mm-hmm. that there is there is also a reason why you're dependent on, on this person who is such a, an, an abuser, because there are things that they can do that you need that only they can do, which is... Yes, Oof. the crew gets introduced to the the fans, who of course know exactly what to expect. Yeah, starting with Tony Madison, and she does her moves. She shakes her boobs. She does her apparently her pentak jab pose. Uh, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and like these are moments of genuine joy as they walk out, and there's this whole crowd of people who are so excited to see them. Yep, and Nesbitt, of course, he's lapping it up. He loves the fans' adoration. Oh, and he's he does, the best at it. He does his lines, and then his microphone gets cut off, and he tries to launch into his own spiel, but no, his microphone's not working anymore. Yep, because they're just there for merchandising. The commander and his crew will be signing autographs on Imperial Decks C&B near the poker shop. Because that's what they're there for. Which they're is there. where it cuts to. Although, yep. so that makes it kind of interesting because I always like thought that like those autograph things, like that money goes to the people doing it. I don't think the con gets they, that money. So, or maybe they get a cut. They, con gets a cut, maybe. The con, you you pay for the booth. So if you want a table to do signings, right? Oh, but does that go, But that, does that even work if you are the main thing? That's interesting. Yes, because it is like a galaxy. Con, right? Yeah. It's for. I mean, the if, you're, if, if, if you're a merchandise seller, then yes, you pay to you pay for your booth, and then you hope that you make more than that in sales. I guess, yeah. But I guess like that, these people are like the main thing. I don't know these cons well enough. Like I, mm. I have been to to a few like comic cons, and they're 
but I've never actually stood in line for a photo. The only one that I regret is once at Comic-Con Amsterdam, I saw Lance Henriksen. Mm, remind me who that is. Is Millennium... Oh, he was the android bishop in Aliens. Oh, okay. Oh, right, him. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. And he's an actor that I've really, really enjoyed, and it was sort of a... I mean, I don't get up very early in the morning where I didn't back in those days. And so when I when I arrive at these conventions, like the lines are usually quite short for these uh, and, the, and the main attractions have usually left. And so yeah. it was it was just him manning the uh, one of two tables in a row of like seven. The other one was, I think, a minor player in Harry Potter. And there were not a lot of people like in line to go. Out. And I, I made this sort of devil's choice. Like I, on the one hand, I really like this actor and... There's no line, and I could just go up and say hello. Yes. But I wasn't sure whether that would make his day worse or better. Oh. That's what I was thinking. Like, if I don't go, then maybe he'll just give up and go to his hotel room and go and do something else. And, like, you say, oh, that's done for the day. Or I might have made him say, I still don't know whether I made the right choice. Oh, yes. Well, it also probably also depended on how much he was charging. Because, like, I think these are going for 15, but, like, I'm pretty sure that these nowadays, these things go for, like, more like 50 if you're, like, a... a actor with a certain name yeah i mean you can see them almost robotically signing these headshots and giving a little smile and and how each of them is like kind of like drawn into their own little niche uh, where uh, yeah where all the girls are like uh, trying to like imply relationships between uh, what's her first character Take a name no yeah that's what i'm trying Even to do Gwen. Weaver yeah. no, isn't... I, I know it, it, I, I draw blanks on names Gwen you know demarco yes yes is how, the character. how gwen is uh, all the girls like who are a lot of cosplays of her yeah uh, and like they're all going like, oh i thought you had a little moment with the captain in no the commander and i never had a thing because she hits she, she yeah. hits she hits the actress guts not even the character it's just yep. like yeah no there was nothing like at the same time though she actually appreciates the actor like she looks over because Jason Nesmith, he's having a lot of fun with the with the fans. Like there's this, yeah. <laughs> this this actual child that he's having a genuine bit of banter with. I think we all remember what happened to that beast on Enoch Seven, right? <laughs> and they're lapping it up. Like yep. he's he's treating his fans really well, and she does respect that. Yeah. Which and is of course, Rickman's character, Doctor Lorenzo, who is just like, yeah, he's like suffering through a line. Of that he hates people, oh, yes, and, and everybody, people, yes. everybody wants to repeat that line to him, and he hates it. And it's... <laughs> okay, we've made it through four and a half minutes of the film, yes. and it's taken us twenty. Wow, no, nope, it's taken us half an hour Dang. of recording okay. time. Yeah, oh, we're not gonna have to pick this, pick up speed on this. Not a chance, because now Enrico <laughs> Colantoni shows up as Mathazar, the Thermians show up, yes. and we have to. We have to just squee about how brilliant these guys are. The acting is fantastic. They like they stand as like a little bit stiff-eyed and like always like nervous eye movements, looking around. <laughs> I have, to my great regret, never seen a bunch of Thermian cosplayers at a at a oh, convention. Oh, damn, that would be great. Yeah. I want that so badly. I would hang out with them all the time. <laughs> Even more than like if I went to a convention where there was a significant Farscape-like contingent. And then there were Thermians. I would go out and p- probably party and with the Thermians with a lot the Thermians. more. <laughs> so this performance came from like Enrico Colantoni. I think he's an American actor, but clearly of Italian mm-hmm. descent. He went to his to his audition, and apparently they had like a concept for the design already. So they put him in the wig and the and, and the costume, and the audition was sort of okay. But the 
the sort of casting director, and I think the actual director was there, a Parisot, or Parisot, I don't know how you mm-hmm. pronounce it, had been through this rigmarole before and got the feeling that, okay, this actor has something that he's decided not to do. Mm-hmm. And he called him back and said, like, you, you sort of look like you want to do something, so do it. Right. And he did this thing, which is apparently a variation of like a vocal warm-up exercise that, uh-huh. he, that he learned, where you touch the seven resonators in your body when you go, and bring it back down again. Yeah. And so he had this melodic but monotonous thing that he did. Please, Commander, you are our last hope. And just any line that he picks, he picks a certain tone, and then it's monotonous until the end of the sentence, and then he picks a new tone for the next one. <laughs> and in, like, they loved it. Like, just instantly, okay, we've got our Mathazar. This is how we're going to do it, yeah. And in fact, in a huge breach of protocol, when they were casting the rest of the Thermians, they showed him clips from his audition tape. Yes. Which you're normally not supposed to do. You're not supposed to contaminate an actor with somebody else's audition. But like, this, can you do this, what he's doing right here? But they don't all do that. Some of them talk normally. Or at least... They do various variations. Yeah, yeah. they all have different different things. Especially notice that limo scene, not the the limousine scene. (laughs) (laughs) The scene with the limousine, not the vessel with the pestle. Yes. <laughs> where, where, yeah, you're kind of expecting them to all, to all talk like this, but the other ones, like their their speech patterns are much more normal than. It depends on who you get. Hey, how many of these ther- thermians, termites slash dalmatians, do you yes. recognize? Oh, because two of them are from Scrubs, and you're way more into Scrubs than I am. Oh, I, I mean, I've, that's it's been ages since I watched Scrubs. I didn't. Okay, I mean, no. she she looks familiar. Missy Pyle. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head what else she's been here in, but she's a, she's a fantastic actress that I've definitely seen in other things. And one of them is Rain Wilson, mm. a comedy actor who would later become famous in the American version of The Office, and who also played Harry Mudd in the Discovery Star Trek era. Yeah. Really. Okay, well, yeah. just more for me to enjoy. And they, <laughs> they're all sort of gathered around here, like interrupting Jason Nesmith as he's about to go flirt with Sigourney Weaver. Wow, these names are going to go all and over the place. all the fangirls, yeah, they're all doing the Penchak Jap pose uh, for a picture with her. And... Uh, and the Thermians are, are informing him, oh, we are Thermians from the Clatoon And he just thinks they're just like another people who want to get him involved in their little uh, personal role play. Well, he thinks that they're the sort of cosplayers who have contracted him to do that side gig. Yes. And so he informs them, like, make sure there's a, there's a limo. And, right, he, he sort of sets the stage for his own Mom's abduction. the word. Sigourney Weaver shuts him down. Yep. It was cute before I knew you. Yeah, that's harsh, but... And this is where it takes a nosedive. And he goes to the men's room, which is completely occupied by by cosplayers and whatever at the urinals, and he goes into a stall. And then these these two terrible bullies walk in. Yes, they've clearly just gone to the con to laugh at the weirdos. I think these actors did not do a very good job. Their laughter is not particularly believable. So oh. do a better job, bully actors. <laughs> but yes, they basically slag Nesmith down. They, they hate him. They like they basically tell him things that he either doesn't realize or yeah. refuses to admit to himself. Because they're laughing about the fact that the fans laugh at him, and in fact, his own his own the crew hates him. Yeah, and he doesn't realize it, which. 
sends him into a, a spiral of depression, and he, you know, he continues his signings, doing yeah, he just basically just signs and shoves and signs, shoves, signs, shoves. The, the, nothing of the the captain demeanor is completely gone, um, which joys. is even shown even more as a, a small group of fans uh, show up with and Justin one, Long. He's so cute, and they Maybe want Justin to discuss Long. technical details, and he snaps. There, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it. This is so heartbreaking. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very harsh pastiche of. A, I think it was a Saturday Night Live skit that William Shatner did, where he has that sort of pretend breakdown oh, towards right. uh, toward toward fans. It's yes. just the show. But you can see the heartbreak in Justin Long's eyes, especially when you realize these were the kids that hired him to to do a scene with them. Were they though? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Later on, when they bump into one another, like, oh, there was clearly a miscommunication about the about the mission, and then they're abandoned again. These were the kids that hired Jason Nesmith. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That didn't really jump out at me. I'd like nope. that was not. I just that, got it in this in this viewing. Poorly telegraphed. It's a it's a film that that holds together incredibly well, but it's not very ostentatious about a lot of those mm. those things, like the the gag with uh, Tony Shalhoub pretending to be Asian and sort of forgetting most of the time. Just got me this time. Ah. 22 years after the film came out. It's still surprising. So, yes, Weaver and Rickman have a little talk about, like, exactly what just happened, that they don't understand it. Something must have gotten at him, which is very clearly shown, because next we have... I want to... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know it's taking forever, but, like, there's so much world-building here. Like, she has what looks like a nice suburban home, and he has what is clearly, like, an inner city apartment. Mm -hmm. Like, you hear police sirens in in the background. Yes. And then we cut to Tim Allen, who, who has, has this mansion palace. in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's not very congruous with like. No, that's what I. That's one of the things I actually had written down. It's like they're. Uh, yeah, it seems that he's doing pretty good for an actor that uh, is running on royalties uh, and yeah. fan signings. So, either that's a house that he bought with his uh, with his income and like. It's the only thing that he bought with uh, the money he was making at the time, sort of assuming that he would make bank in the rest of his career, or he's had a decent career, or he just gets more royalties than the rest, which is all Could possible. Could be, yeah. Yeah, he still remembers his own lines and wakes up, yeah, passes out drunk, yeah. trying to drink away his... His sorrows. Yes. And he wakes up. Now, this is a technique that I learned from, oh, from the internet somewhere. The, the technique that he uses for dressing is called shirt cocking. Now, can you guess what that means? No. Well, it means that he's wearing a shirt. And that's it. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so he's I got I think a... he's meant to wear pants, as in British pants. Not American pants. Does that... Well, so you mean vagina? No, as in underpants, like pants... In... Oh, I thought we were fanny. Yeah, that no, means... In, in, okay, in, yeah, sometimes that means in, in, bum in, and sometimes in, yeah, means... No, in British pants are underpants. and As opposed to... Trousers. Okay, Which yes. is... American pants. Okay. Anyway. Um, I was having a little bit of fun with other sort of Britishisms that sometimes... Right, yes. None of those here, though. Uh, although no, we, no, we, no. I mean, if we wanted to find out if anybody was British, we would just say out loud, hey, how do you pronounce scone? And we'd just see. <laughs> yes. Because if there were two British people, then they would immediately start a duel. Well, there's that, yes. Yeah. Well, then the actual, then the real question is cream first or jam first. Okay, now who's distracting us from the film? <laughs> you started it. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, yes, uh, Thermion show up at his house. They have secured the limo. We've got a fantastic scene where the, he basically moons them while he's looking for his shoes. <laughs> yes, he asks them, can you look for another one of these? And you see them sort of looking at the ceiling or down like <laughs> yes. The physical acting is amazing. It's the best comedy that's ever been made. Into the limo they go where they continue to sort of clumped together. They're wearing these sort of pleather uniforms and trying to give a like a five million year exposition of, of their the of the risk of their race and how things have developed. And he's just gonna rest this and he's being really he's he's being an ass here because like because yeah. like he knows he's on his way to a gig which he doesn't really care about because he's hungover and he's just he's just trying to wing it. He he is he falls asleep so he misses the entire trip in the limo yeah. with the limo through the wormhole. <laughs> There's a good gag where he where he asks about the the, the woman, uh, Lalura, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The character's name is Missy Bile. Jo- like Jane Doe. Doesn't she? Doesn't she speak? Oh. Her translator is broken. <laughs> I bought the DVD when it came out, and it has a special, a, a secondary audio track that's all in Thermian. All the dialogue. And <laughs> oh my god! Which I'm, I, I don't know whether they did it, but I'm sure the actors just did that themselves for the whole movie. Oh, They've, they must have. I would be so proud of that. And this is where the director initially would have just a fade from him falling asleep there and then like almost like a a, a wizard of oz Mm -hmm. waking up on the ship and it never being being clear but there was someone else who insisted that there had to be a a, a shot of like the limo being beamed up yes dog backing well it's not really being being beamed up it's literally being like well tractor beamed up yeah that's what it looks like and Uh, it's gone and he wakes up in in what he thinks is a set which she is impressed with. I mean, they go like, oh, this is like really nice. Usually it's just some uh, plywood and someone's garage. But yes, it's still very much uh, like, uh, let's put it on screensaver three. And yep. he's very dismissive of the entire procedure. He just wants to go through it because like, he knows he's got a gig in Van Nuys where he has to be in 15 minutes. This has got to be a thing. Also, yeah, good luck getting to Van Nuys in 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know where Van Nuys is. It's, it's a Dutch on, name, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think it's on the uh, East, East, East Bay, San Francisco. Okay. Oh, no, wait, no, sorry, of course not. It's Los Angeles, Van Nuys, it's Hollywood. Because that's where the uh, LucasArts studio was. Oh. The first one, the, sorry, the first uh, ILM studio was in uh, Van Nuys. Oh, uh, it's yeah, Van like, Nuys, California, It's yes. kind of like if you get that bend in the water and then go straight up and it's somewhere in that area. Names are your thing, geography is my kryptonite. <laughs> so, and we're introduced to the Romulan starship Narada from Star Trek 2009. <laughs> it does look a bit like that, yeah. Right? Like, the, the, the sort of green interior lighting was definitely taken from Saris' ship. Saris' uh, ship, I always thought, is a beautiful design. It sort of looks like the planet killer weapon from the original series and, like, the, the Deridex-class Romulan warbird from yeah, Star Trek Yeah, it's kind of like generation. a huge whale with his mouth open and the, the, the green light of the... Oh, yeah, it's like a whale shark. You know, one of those yeah. quill, uh, krill yeah, filtering... Yeah. Yeah, good point. Uh, and I love the evil commander's uh, design. It's this, this, right. These lionfish spines on his back, which, fl- uh, which which stand up when he gets agitated. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic design. His face is so expressive. For the longest yeah. time, I thought it was CGI. Mm. And still to this day, like I wish I could find a proper documentary about the construction of this makeup slash animatronic mm. created by Stan Winston, famous creature designer, who apparently wanted, like he'd been working on that since... Oh, I think Close Encounters, and like they were working on. Oh yes, they were working on Planet of the Apes production. Oh, and so they were developing this technology for essentially a performance capture, live transfer from a, from an actor's face 
to an animatronic armature that they were wearing okay. as well. Right. So that's why he's got all of these micro expressions and like lip curling his lips and his eyebrows. His nose going up, yeah, moving. Really brilliant. Really sexy in a way. We know quite a few sex weirdos. I'm sure that there's oh, friends um, that we have who are like suits who'd, into. Who would be into that? Yes. Into Saris, but the ca- commander is not so much into him. Nisbet is just like okie dokie, okie dokie. Uh, let's fire blue particle cannons full, red particle cannons full, Gannett magnets, fire them left and right, and let them run. All shoots while you're at it once yet. Toss that at him, killer. Yeah, that should take care of him. Bye. I'm off. I need to go get to Van Nuys. The Thermians are astonished. Yes, they're like, the- oh, but what if he survived? Nah, I'm pretty sure I got all, got him good with that. Because, yeah, he's still treating it like it's just a game, just a role play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like they were filming a home movie and they, and they you know, put together all their savings to hire 15 minutes of their, their favorite actor's time. <laughs> Yeah. With the, the gratitude of the Thermians and an interstellar Vox, a communicator. Oh, yes. He gets given that. He is led out onto this pedestal that he's left it's alone in. It's kind of like the uh, the sun deck on uh, Moya. Oh, yes. Yeah, because, well, first some gel comes out that covers him completely, and then the, the roof opens, and yeah, it's like the terrace on Moya. And he gets launched out into the wormhole, back to Earth. So this is where, in the original theatrical run, there was a, there was a sort of fun idea because it starts off. The film starts off with the the sort of footage of the television series, which is in four by three television mm-hmm. ratio, nearly square, and then it widens as we get the convention. Yeah, and this is one eighty five by one, which is how the projectionists were were supposed to show it. But here, when the canopy opens and we get this actual vista of uh, a, mm-hmm. a space environment, the aspect ratio of the film was supposed to widen even further. Ah. And so there were special notes for the projectionist, and this is where like, you open the matting curtains, but like, it's not commonly done in films, and, and it didn't happen in a lot of... So they wanted to make it even wider, w- wider screen. Yeah, yeah. The director, Dean, I think Pariso later said, yeah, that was just a terrible idea. It's almost a bit of a shame that I wasn't reproduced in the uh, home streaming version. Could but, have, oh, could, well. Yeah, they could have basically faked it by narrowing the field a little bit. And exactly. That's because probably the better, would have probably been the better way to do it. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a gag, I want to say, that was introduced in uh, The Wizard of Oz, which also mm. starts in a square format until like the, the house has crashed after the tornado and it's still in black and white, but there's this sliver of colored light coming through the door and Dorothy walks up to it and opens the door and behind it is Technicolor and then the screen widens and it's Technicolor and widescreen and amazing. And that's the experience he has as he, as he looks up. And then he gets zapped up through uh, a black hole and then there is a shot that was reproduced in Star Trek in 2009. Oh, with the eye? No, it's specifically the sort of shot from above him as he's traveling through space. That's how Kirk and Sulu were filmed as they were doing their uh, planetary skydive. Yes, I remember that shot. Yeah, which they filmed by putting the actors on a mylar middle mirror and filming them from above so you'd have clouds underneath them. It's really cheap. Oh. And then just shaking the camera a lot. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and they're wearing helmets, so you're just, you know, blowing some air around them. And <laughs> Very clever. But this is the exact same angle. This is the exact same shot. J.J. Ah. Abrams basically made a Galaxy Quest remake in 2009. Go and see it. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see what I mean. I've seen the movie. So we have a very sorry-looking gathering here where Tech Value Electronics uh, Superstore is being opened. <laughs> In uh, Van Nuys. In I'm Van sure, Nuys, yeah. yes. Uh, with, the, with the crew standing there and holding their little lines, each, each of them 
taking part of the, the story that like they're supposed to tell, like, oh, the it's super so story. so bad. Yes, and of course, at the end, Rickman having to do his... By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. And it's just like you can hear the resentment the in his voice. He has to be nudged by Sigourney Weaver to actually say it. And then these four little sad balloons are released, and it's... it's <laughs> Uh, and Nesmith's there. He's running up to them. He runs past Justin Long and his and his uh, bumps into them. They accidentally swap, uh, which is where they say, "Oh, sir, so there must have been a miscommunication about the mission because we were expecting you this morning." And right, okay, I get. I, I thought they were just referring to what happened at the convention center. Like so, there's when, two things that he's yes, done to disappoint them. Yeah, and the third, which is he runs off, but not before he bumps into Justin Long and like drops the vox that he got from Mathazar and picks up the uh, plastic prop. Yep. That Justin Long had. He tries to convince them to come along, go to space with him, and they're like, what are you on? Are you on drugs? Uh, like, you're late. Why? You, it's okay to be disrespectful to us, but don't be respectful to the fans. Yeah. Uh, they don't buy what he's selling. Even and- when the Thermians show up to inform him that, oh, Cyrus somehow survived and we still need you. Yes. And they're like, oh, so these are the guys, like, this is the, sh- the, the, the thing you were doing without us. They all get in a, into Uber or whatever it is and yeah. uh, leave. <laughs> But then it's like, oh, but what if it is a job? All right, like, run for it's it. It's Quan. It's Tony Shalhoub. I think we should have taken the gig. Wait, you think it was talking about a job? Oh, sh- no, then we then we demand. <laughs> that we demand to be a part of it. Fortunately, uh, the Dalmatians have left a transmission <laughs> behind. We get a fantastic scene where they, they get their first taste of that not all is what they think it is. Uh, yeah. As these little glowy circles appear underneath them. The next shot we see is them arriving on the uh, Thermian home base. Teleport, and they're just sort of paralyzed and quivering and breathing like this. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when Guy arrives and he just basically screams. <laughs> did you see? Did you see Sigourney Weaver just just clutching her chest? She wasn't aware that he was going to do that. <laughs> Because, yeah, you have these Thermians showing up, these tentacled creatures that come up to them with, like, speculums and dental equipment. And, and yeah, other rotating things, which looks like it's supposed to hurt you. Uh, these are puppets. Oh, these yeah. are animatronics. These were handcrafted with, with each of them with, like, 45 distinctly articulated tentacles. And apparently, like... Steven Spielberg, whose relationship with his production I don't fully understand, mm-hmm. told one of the Creature Shop people that, hey, you know what? These aliens should probably look more humanoid, like in Close Encounters. Okay. And Stan Winston threw a, threw a little bit of a conniption. Like, these are great, and we should do them. And apparently convinced Steven Spielberg that they should have these weird aliens. Yeah. Hmm. I like I it. Mean, I like Steve, it it, he's not a producer for it, is he? Uh, I don't, Spielberg? I don't fully know. I mean, I know that he apparently, like, he toured the set, and it was his suggestion to to have more scenes with Brandon and his crew. It was yeah. suggesting that this film was was so hyper real, it needed a human element, and Brandon was the right way to to do that. So okay. he got hmm. more scenes. Yeah. But yes, our crew are introduced to to their new world by the Thermians and a very enthusiastic Nesmith. Yes, I mean the Thermians. Get the, apparently, they have these like appearance changers, which they use, and they apologize that they forgot about them. Nesmith comes in, like, "Come on, it's all great and it's amazing." He's missed this like kind of horrific scene, which just unfolded. As has Tech Sergeant Chen, who only teleports in a little bit late because he was like checking out the vending machine. <laughs> yes. That was a hell of a thing. 
<laughs> yeah, he's not phased. No, he's by just like any of it. What's wrong with him? I don't know. Come on. He runs off, very eager to show them what's going on. I love how sort of wobbly-legged they all Apparently, are. the transportation does a bit of a weird thing to you. I saw a video of some cats that had just come out of general anesthesia uh, and woke up to, like, find their feed bowl on the other side of the room and with great motivation but poor coordination, they sort of they kind of stagger and, over there. Legs don't all work, but still, still heading there. Yes, the crew is introduced to Mathazar. Uh, <sighs> I love him so much. Who is uh, very enthusiastic to meet him. Like, uh, like oh, Tech Sergeant Chen. Oh, Tech Sergeant Chen. And then, like, each each and every name, they just kind of, like, whisper, repeat it afterwards. And it's a, it's a really creepy vibe. But, oh, I never got it as creepy. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of still playing on the, uh, the you know, the fanboys. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's sort of thing. starstruck, all of them. Yes. They, they reach, you know. And Guy. Guy. Okay. <laughs> Sam Rockwell is the actor. I love him so much. Very talented dancer. Very, very skilled. Yeah. And they get their first glimpse of the ship. Yes, the protector. And they're oh, like, wow. yeah, yeah. oh, it's real. I think it's Rickman who says that. And it really is wondrous. That ship, like, it reads so much like the Enterprise, despite being completely different for mm. clearly contractual reasons. It looks a bit more like the Orville, I'd say, but or the Orville looks more like... Well... Yeah. <laughs> Like, the Orville has owes a lot to Galaxy Quest, doesn't yes. it? Yes, oh, absolutely. In fact, I think when you view the, the, the protector from the top, it looks like a comm badge. A bit. Looks a bit like the Quake logo. Oh, yeah, you're right. Huh. <laughs> Actually, you know, there's another thing, which is, like, the doors on the protector, they don't do the shwoosh like they do on the Enterprise, the clunk, which is the sound effect they just took from Doom. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yes, the crew is slowly starting to cotton on to what's going on. They talk about the historical documents. You've been watching the show? Lieutenant, historical documents. And uh, they're realizing that Nesbitt is basically... Gaslighting. Gaslighting the aliens, because he wants this. Yeah. At this point, everything is set up for the, for the film to proceed on its, its, its major arcs. Yes. Because... The, the, the sort of trifecta of deceptions is Thermians have arranged their whole culture and technology after the television show that they saw that they assumed are historical documents. Yes. Uh, which apparently saved them and... It, yeah, their, their culture was in decline and basically modeling it after this fictional society saved their culture. They managed to bring all the different factions together yeah. and, and... And produce this magnificent ship that... They don't fully know how to control. Like they, no. they even mentioned, like our our efforts to operate our own technology under tactical situations in simulations has proven disastrous. Yes, <sighs> we're, we're not very good at this, and that's mainly the fact that they don't seem to be very good at tactics because they don't understand deception. Yes. Okay. So one little thing which is a bit weird about this is apparently they can make things based that on thing, vague yes. description. But even even okay, the the whole uh, the the Omega Thirteen, it's like they made it based on. I suppose visuals. I mean, yeah, that's or the maybe only. Maybe there's some like techno babble about like. It, but it's that thing nobody knows. There's no nobody ever knows what it does. Right, but if it's mentioned like it's a, a quantum tunneling neutron fusion device, well, okay, we've got a developing quantum tunneling neutron. We know what those things are. Right now, we have to just put them together. I'm just guessing, right? Yeah. But like, if someone oh describe a complicated piece of machinery like scissors, right, mm-hmm. to someone who is unfamiliar with matter yeah 
they can still probably make a decent... Okay, so you've got two things that are bolted together, and then the the hinging motion allows it to cut through something. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, but you get the same thing with the matter transformation device. The The digital conveyor. The digital conveyor, yes. It's like, they built this thing. It can transport human matter because anything else that gets transported in kind of tends to fail, except stone, the stone thing. The stone thing works as well. I think that's the operator, because one of the engineer Thermians mentions that to Tech Sergeant uh, Mm -hmm. Chen. uh, It's more of an art than a science. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all based on, but okay, it's, and it's the same thing goes with the controls of the ship. Yes. So it's all based on the motions that they have observed. Yeah. Right? That From the what, actors what, performed. That the actors these... performed. But if you like make a system that like perform, works to those motions, you know, then you, you know what inputs it expects. You know what it will do if it gets a certain input. Yes, yes. And therefore, you'd think that like you'd be able to control that because you've like actually told it how to interpret certain inputs. Okay, we're doing the exact thing that, that Galaxy Quest is lampooning and I know. valentining. Because, yes, this is... Like, th- this was the thing that I think made Patrick Stewart fall in fall in love with the, the... Like, that these most ridiculous people, these fan... These... I was going to say fanboys, but it's far beyond any, any, any gender. Like, this... These fans who delve into the science of, of Star Trek, and there's even those, bless their hearts, who try it with Farscape, which Farscape, tooth oh. and nail resists. Yes, that's nothing to hold on to. Absolutely nothing. But they're the heroes. It's their knowledge. It's the, their, their attention to these things that enables them to save the day, much like the Thermians. The Thermians are, like, like Brandon, dedicated fans. Yes, absolutely. And that makes them great. It turns out that uh, Sarek, uh, no wait. Saris. Uh, Saris, Sarek, Saris, whatever, has survived and is now coming at them again. Yes, he's got a, a metal plate over, over one of his eyes. His and eyes. And a, uh, a robot hand. Of course, this is after the fantastic, like, clear all moorings gag where Laredo oh. has to take out the ship. Which also makes absolutely no sense if you look at the configuration of the ship. I know, because the nose sort of grinds against the side of the space station, but it's got this huge disc I know, right? the nose. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I love this gag so much. So this is where I thought that Laredo, his arc, is the, is the key to this sort of transition toward loving it. Because out of all of them, he has to do the most actual work. No pressure, huh? I'm glad I ain't the commander. <laughs> Laredo, take us out. Excuse me? It's like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> because he says that as a, as a kid, because he was a child actor in the original series, like I had it all worked out what, what it was going to do. So he actually stands a chance of figuring yes. it out, and he does. But so with the paint freshly scraped on this beautiful ship, and after a meal where the commander gets to eat corn-fed Iowa beef, mm-hmm. Iowa, where James Kirk is from. Yes. Yeah, love it. Oh, and Dr. Lazarus meets Quellick, his, uh, his student, Yes, who has modelled his life on the way of uh, Dr. Lazarus, whom he considers to be a father figure, even though he they never met. Yep, and though he is Thermian, he modelled his life after the, the alien culture that, uh, that Lazarus belongs right. to. We get to see how the previous captain got tortured. And yes. this, at this point, the crew goes like, oh, shit, we're out. Yeah, yeah. They uh, try to uh, GTFO. Which they're unable to do because Saris has already shown up. Yep, uh, he's not very happy. He looks good with that eye patch. It does. I mean, okay, so what's the timeline on this? They did that pretty damn quick because, you know, he went out, shot the shot Saris. Yeah. 
with the ship. Then he got transported back to Earth. They went went straight to Van Nuys. They went straight yeah. back. And this it's, is all still it's, the same this day. This is half an hour later. And yet the ship has managed to go back to <laughs> ah, the... And they had a stake in the, in between. So call it an hour 45. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, if, right? I, I get what you mean. Uh, you're right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So he got patched up and fitted with a robot hat. I know, right? Really quickly. Well, efficient, efficient technology, yep. I guess. New, uh, yeah, a new ship. Hilarious scene where there's like he gives the signal to cut off the comms, which of course gets misinterpreted. So, the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought you were saying we're dead, which I agree with. Like, yeah. I know where the damn mute button is. Yes. <laughs> I love her attitude, she's fantastic. She's so good. She's a real highlight in what is already a gem. And then, uh, guy, okay. guy notices that oh, there's a red thingy approaching the green thingy on the screen. I think and- we had a green thingy and like a little present, boom. Uh, they managed to like hit the, 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 the speed up button to get out of here. The, uh, uh, yeah, and one of, those, one of those rockets fired by the Romulan starship Narada, yeah. uh, this exact shot of tracking that rocket onto the, onto the bridge and exploding is also in the opening scene where the Narada attacks the Kelvin. J.J. <laughs> Abrams wrote a love letter to Galaxy Quest and apparently not enough people know about it. They managed to escape, but only by severely damaging their ship. ship. Yeah, so we get to the first time where the Chen is standing in front of his little crew. <laughs> yes, uh, he's an engineer. There, there's a fantastic scene which unfortunately ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh. Where it's like when he's first uh, introduced to the tech crew. Yeah. Uh, and he's just standing there going like, doing his stoner self and they're like oh well we have a question for you uh, like we had problem uh, realigning the phase crystals with the dilithium matrix and the guy's like ah, uh, yes and... and- and well, this means that they did become unstable with uh, at certain uh, uh, temperatures, which, which means, means <laughs> and then basically he leaves them, and they uh, they come to the conclusion they find the solution to the problem they've been having, and they're crediting him for it. Yep. Bec- while he's just standing there, going, "I have no idea what you're talking about." Uh, it's <laughs> so fun. it's such a shame that that scene didn't end up in the movie because it's it's <laughs> I know the exact scene that you're talking about. It was on my DVD and. That taught me the value of sort of leadership, mm. which I've I've actually been able to use in my career. Like an incredibly valuable contribution that you can make as a as a leader of a team is to create the conditions for the team to solve it themselves. Because they totally can't. You can't. No. You certainly can't. But like removing impediment, impediments, facilitating communication, all those buzzwords. Sometimes you can actually do it, and it's so so satisfying. Um, uh, in this case, he's informing the commander while, you know, there's actual explosions going on behind him. and The ship's blowing up, ship's basically. The ship's yeah. blow up. It's also being FYI. blown up because they're flying through a minefield. They're getting knocked by the mines. Uh, they run, oh, yes. They run the ship too hard, and it ends up adrift. Yeah. They have, they have managed to escape uh, Saris. But, but at the cost of destroying so many yes, systems. There's like everything is like 80% damage. And most importantly, the Brilliant Sphere is cracked. As the computer informs them in the sort of briefing room. Which is like the fantastic scene. It's like, okay. <laughs> he tries to ask questions to the computer. But the, Quan, well, the computer will only respond <laughs> if Gwen asks the question, which then she repeats back. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? <laughs> Laredo sitting there with a broken arm in a in a sort of healing sling, tube. yeah. Sort of like in Starship Troopers, they had that as well. 
Oh yeah, I suppose. Or like Where, the uh, uh, the Bacta suit that was oh, Finn wears, Finn wears Finn, in yes. uh, the Rise of Skywalker. I think that's the one. I think it no, is. Yeah, uh, 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 Last Jedi. But so so hey, they have an idea. The tech crew has an idea that they can find a replacement beryllium sphere at a nearby planet. Yep. And Nesmith goes, "We'll do that." Yeah, because it gives us the chance to do something. <laughs> and I love Chen. Just goes, hey, right again, guys. Come on, group hug. Yeah, he's so good with his team. I love how they just managed to... Now now they're actually turning the movie into what it yes. is. Like it becomes, oh, now we get the, the scene on the planet. Yes, and it gets even worse. <laughs> you get these, these ups and downs because, yes, they're coming together as a crew. Oh, no, that means that when they stand together, they also fall apart, which oh. is a very human thing to do. <laughs> Because on the shuttle ride to the planet, like, they're all still bickering with each other, and Guy has a freak out. I changed my mind, I want to go back. After the fuss you made about getting left behind. Yeah, but that's what I thought. I was the crewman that stays on the ship, and something is up there, and it kills me. But now I'm thinking I'm the guy who gets killed by some monster five minutes after we land on the planet. I love this scene. It is funny. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have a last name, well, because it's not important enough. Guy. You have a last name. Do I? Do I? Oh, but yeah, the thing is, they were kind of coming together. They actually performed while they were running away from the uh, from Cyrus. Yeah. And now you can see this scene is they're falling into their green room. Yes. Uh, banter. Uh, that's the, exactly right. That's where they are. They're that's back in the green room. Yeah. They're waiting for the performance to start. They're on the shuttle, and this is this is almost exactly the same as the opening scene. In a, lot of, in a lot of interaction. You're completely right. I mean, I was just distracted by the fact that they had seatbelts, which I thought was a <laughs> huge innovation. <laughs> and yes, Rickman is complaining about Alan uh, being like the being the show off in the lead. And, uh, yeah, the steam ceiling diva, much like William Shatner's reportedly was during yes. his original series run. Laredo manages to land this really cute shuttle fairly well, and Chen opens the door, which Guy freaks out. Yeah, at, like, how do you know there's even air? That's well, fine. Briefly, we walk in the wrong direction, which like cements the fact that Laredo is not yeah impressed he's, that with he's, Lazarus, right? That he's not Doctor, but also that he is not Doctor Laredo. He's like the Lazarus. Actor. Laredo Lazarus. is the pilot, right? Sorry, Laz yes, okay. Lazarus. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Lazarus. Oh, you're right. Yes. Also alluding to uh, Leonard Nimoy in the first season of the original series, occasionally held his tricorder the wrong way around uh, with the buttons facing the camera. He hadn't really figured out which way well, with which. Yet. With the prop no. yet? No. So, yes, cute little uh, aliens uh, who turn out to be vicious, of course they are. Lots of so teeth. So what, what I'm reading here is that this is a mining operation that has been attacked by these little blue babies, yeah, right? Yeah, probably blue. Uh, it's a little green, but, you know. Okay. Well, there's a lot of yellow light, once again filmed probably in that same stone quarry in California yeah, where, where they all Kirk fought things. the Gorn. Yeah. There's a few beryllium spheres hanging around. There's much more bickering. I mean, we're not doing the scene any justice, but it's like, yeah, we're running. This a, is, yes. This is going to yes. be a three-hour episode if we go gag by gag, which we simply cannot do here. This is this is such an ensemble piece because the only like, human actors here are the core cast, and they all have stuff to do. Like the Sigourney Weaver, like suddenly she's really taken with these babies and she sort of breaks cover to go, oh, hello, oh. and she has to be stopped. Like, what is she thinking? Yeah, but yeah, they have, there's a limp-footed one who gets torn apart by the others. And they're, they they manage to steal this giant sphere and they're rolling it over the ground yes. all together while they're being chased by these murderous little 
I mean, uh, it's, so it's, it's like he, he, he later admits to the uh, to Mathazar that like, oh, our beryllium sphere is just wire covered in foam. Oh, yeah. Which is this clearly has to be because like there's no way if that thing was actually made out of beryllium they would be able to be able to get it to rock. Would it be safe to touch with your hands? Oh, I don't think beryllium has to be it's radioactive. No, I know it's not, but it might be toxic in, uh, in other ways. Probably a Because bit, like uh, the beryllium sphere is an actual component of one of the two nuclear devices that were developed for the attack on, on Japan. Okay, yeah. So... Where is this? I remember, I remember our friend Steve was over in the Netherlands and like I was talking for some reason about like this, this nuclear design and I mentioned the word beryllium sphere and like he snorted the, the beverage that he was enjoying at the time, yeah. having never heard it before outside of Galaxy Quest. Did you just say beryllium sphere? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they managed to get the thing in the shuttle, but the commander falls out and he is left to the little critters who don't actually decide to eat him. But they well, just... hit him with a rock and then eat him. Yes, except they don't. Yeah. Because they, then they kind of leave him in place to be sacrificed by this piglet thing, which gets transported, blown apart. And Garignac, Garignac. Who then turns out to be a rock monster. Yes. William Shatner saw this film and was just very frustrated because Paramount would not let him have a rock monster at the end of Star Trek The Final Frontier, <laughs> which he really, really wanted, but they wouldn't give him the budget for. And so, well, uh, not many he, disappointments he, in that. Otherwise. He was a little bit... Uh, yeah, I can... appreciate its film, so, but it's a great rock monster. It's a great rock monster. Captain gets thrown around for a little bit. Uh, this is where we have uh, Chen having his crisis moment, where he's... Like, he has to start performing, this. yeah. Yes. So like, far, he has just been able to wing it by just, like, saying stupid things and moving around. But now he has to be the one to operate the uh, digital conveyor. And he's terribly nervous about it. Like, yes. I love how the whole team is sort of working on, on Chen and managing his anxiety attack. But it, it's Lazarus who sort of stays on the phone and sort of summarizes. Like, he doesn't just say exactly what's happening now, but he sort of jumps to the conclusion, all right, no, this is going to take a second. We're a change of plan. Yeah. Like, whatever's happening in the background, we're not getting that result in the next two minutes. So, like... And Sigoni Weaver with her. Hold, please. <laughs> As in, what you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And once again, it's Nesmith who talks Fred Kwan slash Tech Sergeant Chen slash Tony Shaloub from his anxiety attack and tells him, like, you would... You never forgot a line. You never missed a mark. You were... You always did everything right. And just they, you stopped trying. Yeah, and they built it for you, uh, so just do your thing. Which uh, I wonder if that's a, a, a reference to... I know on Babylon 5, there were some actors that later turned out to have substance abuse uh, problems, uh-huh. but who were who were credited by their, their fellow actors like, never late, never forgot a line, right? They did the, they did the work. They had, yeah. they had stuff going on in their personal lives, but they did the work. Uh, and he manages it. Yeah, and we get a first moment of... Uh, and it's actually the... Yes, you're right. When he sees the Lalara. Thermian... Lalara, yes. Pile. And for her, he does it. Okay, for her, he's, he, he zips up his uniform, uh, <laughs> yeah. closes the collar, and he gets on with on the digital conveyor, zooms it in on Nesbeth, and zaps him in just before the... Uh, the rock monster. rock monster collapses on him. He's, he's actually doing the pose that John did in uh, when he gets turned into a statue. You're right, that's the exact same pose. It's his, <laughs> his sort of wedding statue pose. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, all is not well 
because not only, I mean, Nesmith wants to tell the Thermians, hey, we can we can all go home. Give us a shuttle. You've got your you know ship yeah. back in working order. Drop us off somewhere, and you can go back to your home world. And they say, well, we don't have a home world anymore. No, but you saw that when the, when the ship left the, the space station, which was basically a segment from a planet, which had been broken apart, which I think the uh, yeah. uh, Osiris did. I wonder, oh... I wonder if I'm meant to infer that there were still Thermians left after the launch of the Protector. But it, they have been... I and don't know. Saras wiped them out while they were... That's ambiguous. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so, because Saras' ship didn't enter the minefield. Yes, it did. No, not at this oh, point. Oh, no, no. They didn't chase later. Yeah, right, no, of course, pa- later. Yeah, yeah. Advising patients. So... But they have caught up with him and boarded and uh, have taken over control. Mathazar is being tortured for information... Yeah. We see a lot more of, of Saris's people whose race, oh, if they're named, it happened too quickly. There was a uh. a brief moment of like Rathar Saris. I couldn't follow it uh, quickly enough, even even though I'm a huge geek. There's a few... They sort of look like chariots. Chariots? Oh, yes. Well, there's right. a f- okay, there's a few who have actual, the, the, the more important characters, the lieutenants, they have full heads and full uh, prosthetic makeups. Articulation, yeah. And the soldiers are just kind of like covered in helmets and they've got these almost rag-like face coverings, and they're just like... Yeah, sort yeah. of dread, sort of like the, the, the charids. Yeah. Who have the same kind of... But they uh, weren't green, yeah. Kind of ...look going on, which Dave Elsie is still upset. Like, they, they, they told him to make a new alien that was cheaper to produce than Scarons. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, because we can't have, like, a whole bunch of Scarons. He's just like, yeah, okay, but we make them once, and we can reuse them for the rest of the series. This is all disposable makeup, so we... Yeah. You know, it's cheaper to make them once, but if we want to have them show up again we're going to have to make them again yeah versus a Scarron armature that you can, uh, you can just put in, yeah or you can just repaint it and now you have a different Scarron oh I want Saris to show up in uh, Farscape now he's such a good <laughs> I mean oh no oh no he's Natira's boy toy <laughs> he's also got the head things no, no totally brother good. and sister the brother oh, and sister they're the, both uh, oh yeah okay that's your hat, head cannon sorted yeah that's going on a password protected tumblr I don't think that's for public consumption <laughs> So, yes, yeah, Saris forces Nesbit to explain to Mathazar what yeah. is actually going on. Because now he, that they show him the, the historical documents, he understands. Yes. What oh, happened. they're actors. Oh, oh, and he thinks it's terribly amusing. Now, with, uh, with them beaten and humiliated, he sets the crew to suffocate by opening a valve somewhere, and the. Yes. He orders the, uh, our heroes to be spaced. Yes, thrown out into space. Uh, Mathazar is heartbroken when he le- learns that uh, he's been lied to and that none of it is true. Yeah, but it really broke my heart. But uh, Nesbit manages to get a, a little thing going, like between him and uh, Rickman, where he manages again through ref- uh, referring to a particular episode. You're starting to act like you did in episode 17. You seen stealing hack? Oh, right. Well, how does it feel, Jason? Was it worth it? You murdered us all! Where they did one of those fake fights that right. distracts a guard. Exactly, which he takes great offense at because he always considers <laughs> yes. Nesbitt to be the scene-stealing hack. But. How would this ever work? What guard lets two prisoners have a fight? Oh, yeah, no. But so, they managed to uh, have this fight until Nesmith can, can grab rudimentary lathe and smacks one of the guards. They get both of the guards into the airlock, and before anyone else can, can act or before the guards can escape, Chen is apparently in the background, just pushes the button to space them all and goes, 
Sorry, was, the door's a little sticky. Did you see that? I'll get one of my boys up here with a can of WD-40. <laughs> <laughs> He is the he, he did do it. He is the one who's just like he's the cold heart one who's just like throws them out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> Nesmith has a has a plan. Yes. Once again, he he did that before when they were all questioning, "Hey, why are we listening to him?" He all he has is top billing. Like he's not a strategist. No, he's just another actor. And just because he plays the commander doesn't make him the commander. But he you know, kind of, he, he kind of grows into that role. Gives everybody someone to, something to do. Chen and Guy get down there to open the valve so that the Thermians can bleed, can breathe. breathe yeah. Quellic and Lazarus go down to the barracks to wedge it open in case they fail. And he and Gwen are going down to turn off the self-destruct. Yep. Laredo, hey, what, what am I supposed to do? Learn to drive. Yeah, so he goes and sits to watch old videos of himself to, like, remember how he got it. Because, yeah, he's, like he said before, he had it all figured out. Like, this means forward, this means back, fast. Yeah. So he just had to, like, get back into that and find out what, what he imagined the controls to work like. And if he knows that, then he can work them. Sigourney Weaver points out to him, like, hey, so we're heading down to stop the core meltdown. We're still actors. Though. Yes. Do you know how to do that? No, I don't. But... I know someone who does. Gets on the Vox to... Brandon. Down in suburban Van Nuys, presumably. Working on a, on a, on a model. His mum comes in, convinces to, to tell him to, like... Take, take out the garbage. Uh, mother, not, not just now. He is so Ten minutes. cute. He's so yes. adorable. Gets his friends on... Uh, vo- on uh, oh, no, you can't skip over this scene because he, oh? the, 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 the Vox goes, goes off and he hears, oh, yeah, C- Commander? Yeah, 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 what's your name? I remember you, you're the kid. Uh, yes. Brandon, right? Okay. No, I wanted to tell you, and he goes... I understand, I'm not one of those nerds who completely... Uh, and Nesbeth is like... Uh, 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 it's all real. Oh, my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it, which is... <laughs> he explains to him that like he needs help information like we need to I'm, I'm on the ship and i need to get down to the the shutoff uh, systems and he gets the whole crew together yeah. justin calls up his friends on on 1999 skype that's i guess what they were using yeah right. i mean they do have video chat apparently yeah Does skype have video chat I, don't, I can't remember when that started coming around sounds about right uh, i mean i didn't at the time but it depends on your bandwidth i suppose and yes, it's like loads of running. He, the whole crew comes online. Like Brandon has uh, like the lower decks, and nobody knows the lower decks like him. It was one of his friends, and it's not Brandon's, but yeah, yeah. And they guide them through the bowels of this this ship that they don't fully understand. Oh yes, the core of the Omega Thirteen, which must look amazing. It doesn't look like much to me. You know, it's just these few walls and this dumb spinning fan that we have in every single. <laughs> Until she looks up, and above there, there's like these like balls yeah. floating around. It looks weird. It's like yeah, it's very organic almost. And then it's just off through the yeah. Then you take a left here, and you go through the chompers. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So this film was originally like it had a darker tone. It had a PG thirteen rating. It had more swearing. It had some sex scenes, and it was toned down for various reasons. One of them was like audience responses, and one of them was also this was coming out around Christmas, and the studio wanted to compete with Stuart Little, so it oh. had to be a bit more family friendly. Yes, okay. But like they had to cut this line where she says, "Oh and, yes." And it was the best line in the test screenings. All the audiences loved it. So the director, Pariso, told Sigourney Weaver, like, just do a, just sort of whiff it. Just do a really poor job on the ADR and maybe they won't do it. But 
even if they leave in Europe, well, screw that. It is so obvious. That she is saying, well, fuck that, yes. <laughs> oh, I found in, in my research, I found on the web one reference that when this aired on HBO in 2000, mm -hmm. it was dubbed again, and she said, well, frell that. Oh, damn. Only one website on the entire internet will, ver will verify that. I have no idea. If anybody oh. has a recording of that, please, please, please send it in. You can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. We definitely <laughs> want to hear. No, I swear to God, if you have Sigourney Weaver saying frell that, it's all I want. Oh, fair point. Yeah. So that's like, actually, that is one of my favorite lines in the movie, I suppose. Where, yes. Because it's not. Oh, it's either that or the or, or a guy's line when uh, Chen and uh, Jane Doe are making out and like tentacles come all over the place. Oh. And he's just not like, oh, that's not right. That's, that might also be my favorite. Ad-lib by Sam Rockwell. One of the two. <laughs> oh, I have a bunch of favorites. I mean, is there air you don't know? That's a big one. Oh my God, I knew it, obviously. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. But yeah, they're being chased by more of these chariots. They have to run through these CGI chompers. They're being directed by Brandon and his and his gang. And meanwhile, Sam Rockwell, Guy, is... I mean, Tech and Lalora and Guy have arrived at the sort of control station overlooking the control room that they need to be in. Yeah, time. and there's, like, there's, there's a bunch of the aliens are uh, playing poker there and just like hanging out. Uh, and, and Guy offers to sacrifice his life to distract them so that they yeah. can get to the, the valve controls. And Chen tells him, well, no, what if you're not expendable? What, what, if, you're, what if you're the plucky uh, comic relief? He sort of looks at his own moustache and he goes, oh, I, I guess I am plucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chen has a better idea, which involves using the digital conveyor to yeah. beam up the rock monster and let the rock monster take care of the aliens, Cyrus's men. It, he, it, it chases them. They, they keep firing at it. Those weapons, by the way, uh, that they're using there. Fifth element? Yes! yes you recognize I, them? I caught them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fairly common for like sci-fi props to be sold off to other productions. Yeah. Like, uh, they just end up in a warehouse and people go walking around and go like, oh, well, oh we, can repaint, we can repaint those. And yeah, like the, the, the Starship Troopers armor was reused for... Oh, for the, the, the guards in the train job that official first episode of Firefly. Fire, yes, yes, I'm flexing all my oh. nerd muscle today. <laughs> and there's an, there's another relationship there because the guns that the the, the blue-handed government people are using, the stunners, in, also oh, yeah. in Firefly, gets reused as uh, Dr. Horrible's uh, freeze ray. In Oh, very good. In, uh, Not an ice ray, but no, a freeze ray. ray. <laughs> yes, in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. And the, 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 the monster, the rock monster, chases them through an airlock and smashes out. And I love this because the, the, the monster is spaced as well. Yeah. And it's, there's this sort of sweet music and this sense of wonder as it looks around. It's like, guess I'm an asteroid now. <laughs> and it's, it's happy. Yeah. Right? It's finally not surrounded by all these pesky things that annoy it all the time. And, and it's just like, oh. What, it's just, oh, this is nice. We can just float around here and... And look at everything. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love this idea that it just travels the universe looking at everything and is just delighted. Yeah. That's what it's always wanted to do. Yeah. So, Dr. Lazarus has a touching scene when his young charge and him go rescue the uh, Thermians. Oh, uh, yeah. And just as they manage to open the, the airlock into the quarters of the Thermians who are he being... He walks like, in as a, as a hero and they all start chanting... The commander's well, yeah, name. The commander's name, yes. And like, oh, like, yes, the commander has saved us. And he just like eye yeah. rolls. And I was like, oh, screw that. Uh, his young charge gets shot by one of the uh, Sarex's uh, guards. Yeah. And he finally delivers his line in earnest. 
it was really affecting. Yeah. I mean, this time I was a little bit distracted because I was just thinking about like the the the, the Saras guard in the background shot Quellic, then is uh, gun jammed. Yeah. And for this whole dramatic scene, he's just he's, like fighting his gun. He's just bashing his gun with, <laughs> and, and not moving. Yeah. So that when the door opens and Lazarus sort of murders him right yes. through the heart and yeah. charges at him, because yeah, this was. Everyone in this in this crew got their sort of moment of realization that th- the role that they were playing and the person they are really not that far apart. No, very good point. It's funny how he goes berserk because f- first we get the scene where they actually manage to turn off the self-destruct, but right after that, when they meet up again, Lazarus is completely like going berserk, still uh, attacking oh, and killing yeah. guards, and is like, yeah. yes, we'll be calmed down by Nesbitt. <laughs> But yes, we get the lovely scene where they shut sh- shut the thing down. It's like, oh, just press the blue button. Is that it? Yeah. Why? No, that I just thought it'd be more complicated than that. <laughs> and as they think they are going to die, uh, Gwen and Nesbitt have this little moment where they finally seem to find affection for each other. I like that they hug. Yes. Right. It's not a it's not a kiss in the face of death. It's well. And of course, the timer stops at one second because it always stops at one second. And then she goes full airhead again, which is go, wait, what were you going to say? Right, yes. <laughs> Scorny Weaver talked about that. Like, anytime she put on the wig, she felt her IQ drop by a few points. <laughs> Blondes so, have more fun, in other yeah. words. Lorenzo has learned... Laredo. Laredo has learned how to fly. Yeah, they, everybody bursts onto the ship. They run toward their stations. They know how to work everything now. Yep. They get the armor back up. They dive into the minefield. Laredo, can you get closer? Oh, and then he yeah. figures it out, yes, because they are put, getting some mines in tug, uh, the magnetic mines which are like trailing behind the ship. There's a kind of cheesy scene between Saris and Nesbitt. Yeah, I love it. Goading yeah. each other on. We're oh, both thinking that they have the upper hand. Yeah. And it turns out that it's Nesbitt and the protector because they're, yeah, he's dragging the mines and they're, as they're playing chicken, the Saris doesn't see the mines until, yes, the protector until veers off right late. at the light and then all those mines go. Yep. Straight Just the same the way that Zachary Quinto's Ooh. Spock flew the jellyfish up the maw of the Narada yeah. while while Nero just sort of stared ahead in frustration. The the ship explodes, we see him running away from the explosions behind him, and everyone's cheering. They have defeated the enemy. The Thermians arrive on the uh, on the on the bridge. They they applaud, applaud in their yes. in their fantastic like hands Upside up and down. down. <laughs> Yeah, Mathazar is uh, back up and running. He's got his leg in some sort of weird uh, support system, and he's got a <laughs> he crutch with him. The Thermian laughter, which is so weird, which ah! is sort of, I mean, open your mouth and convulse, yeah. and then only three seconds later does the sound start. Yes. <laughs> Presumably just because they're producing tones, which humans can't hear. That's very generous. Yes. <laughs> Come here. The ship was a marvel as big as this. A very clever deception indeed. Yes. And they let him have it. Because, yep. like, why? Yeah. Makes little difference at this point. Yes, they uh, decide that they want to go home. Yeah, Laredo says, no problem, but we'll have to go through the black hole. Yeah, <sighs> whatever. Yeah. Black hole, no big deal. It's not what black holes look like. Yeah. Doesn't matter. That's what they didn't, they didn't know that yet in uh, 1999, you know. Yeah, they did. I mean, well, they didn't know what they looked like, looked like, but they didn't know. Well, pro- they, they knew yeah. it wasn't a funnel. Right. Everybody knew it was always going to be a three-dimensional right. symmetrical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't during the black hole. 
No, okay, but they didn't really care about science, uh, did they? Do they didn't hit this series? Then. No, also, yeah. no, that's fair, that's fair. This is where we see Rickman with his frailing makeup, that like, his, head, <laughs> yeah. his headpiece is definitely coming loose. Yep, his hair sticking out underneath it, but he still hasn't taken it off. Tech Sergeant Chen walks onto the bridge, but... Hey. It turns out to be not him, it is Saras in disguise. Shoots everyone everybody, on the bridge. Everybody gets a dying scene. Okay, so big shout out to Sam Rockwell, who who he channeled Matt Damon from Saving Private Ryan because oh. everybody's getting shot. Yeah, but he's just standing completely still, even like just the same expression as as Matt Damon as as Private oh, Ryan. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yes, uh, everything gets shot up while the ship is like hurtling towards Earth at breakneck speeds, and the last thing that they manage to do is activate the Omega-13. Yes. Which this, indeed turns out to be a time reset. Yep. Like, the sound stops and there's all these sort of little balls of matter that fly out and freeze and then fly back together again, just like the red matter as uh, it obliterated <laughs> the Dorada in Star Trek 2009. Yes. There's one more. It looks exactly like, like that, that. And it's even got the same sort of whoop, gloopy sound effects. Damn. Yeah. Uh, uh, Everybody else is congratulating themselves that they came through the wormhole because, and it is only Nesbit who is realizing that, like, hang on, something's wrong. Yeah, uh, because it's a machine that sort of resets time 13 seconds long enough to redeem a single mistake. mistake. Yes, which is stop Chen or Saras from shooting things up, which he does. He attacks what everybody else thinks is Chen, and they, they pull him off, and yeah, we get the final little showdown. Saras draws out his gun, but he gets... Uh, Beaten up my mother's arm yes. with his crutch. Yes, which... Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, Chekhov's crutch, I suppose, at this point. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. No. I think when someone has clearly got his leg broken and is walking know, around with a crutch, that's... I know, but still. I mean, we're sitting here speaking into Chekhov's microphones, by your logic. <laughs> I wonder what they're... I mean, mine has googly eyes that you put on there, which that I really That wasn't me, appreciate. that was solid. Oh. <laughs> and they say their goodbyes, because apparently, like, the ship can't slow down in time for its approach to Earth. Like, some systems are still frayed. Right, but they can if they split off the command section and then the ship can veer off and then this command section can still... It, it makes no sense. Well, as as a sort of... I've seen a T-shirt of the two components of the Enterprise D mm-hmm. where the saucer section, which doesn't have a, a, a drive... It does, to but it doesn't have a warp drive. It doesn't have a warp drive. drive described as a yeah. total top and the engineering <laughs> section is described as the power bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Right? No, I know, I get it. <laughs> In this case, it's more like the captain's shuttle, which, get, which yeah, the detaches, yacht, yeah. Yeah, the captain's yacht, which detaches from the top. And yeah, they manage to uh, fly an approach. There's a goodbye. So Jane Doe comes along with Chen. Yeah. There's a little moment where she's looking at Mathazar and like, they're making eyes at each other. And they're and holding like, hands and he's and, like, Aw. and he, yeah, so he sees what, definitely what's going on. And uh, yeah, she No moves. words need to be said. No. They go then they go ahead. Uh, get a fantastic scene with Brandon trying to explain to his parents what's going on. Yeah. And he's just thinking, oh, he's out nerding with his friends again. Well, he's outside. Right. <laughs> exactly the same strategy as uh, Flight of the Navigator, using Din- fireworks to provide a sort of visual confirmation. Dinner's at seven. To- <laughs> yeah. yeah, they manage to like guide the ship into the parking lot of the convention center. Comes in a bit hot, though. A little bit, yeah. A, a lot of Subarus are smashed by the yacht. As well as the whole side of a convention center. I can't imagine that no one dies in no, this No, no, because especially it's not since it comes crashing out through some of the booths where merchandise is being exactly. sold. Exactly. It goes so, through the merch booths and then through like the convention hall. 
But it's a hell of an entrance. Crash, crashes into the stage, perfectly poised with the exit for the crew to yes. start wa- staggering out onto the stage one by one. The, it's a great applause. The MC is just standing there going like, okay, what was this? First, uh, Tommy uh, appears, and he just he catches it. The MC does a good job. He catches on. He starts introducing the crew one at a time, uh, yeah. apparently, because it's day three of the con, and the crew is missing in action. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, that's true. They were on telly. <laughs> yeah. I swear that MC was one of the almighty tallest from Invader Zim. Oh. Yeah. I recognize that voice. voice. I'm sure I've seen that actor as well. Yes, everybody gets called onto stage. The uh, fans are loving it. Loving it. They're they're dancing in their in their seats. Uh, Brandon and his crew come come running in as well, cheering along with everyone. And we get uh, Saris's final moments where he comes walking out. Yeah, but not to worry. does another judo roll and shoots him. (laughs) And he sort of vaporizes and collapses into this this sort of core that then explodes in a sort of Wizard of Oz puff of smoke. Yeah, it's it's almost like you expect a confetti cannon to go off there and the crowd loves it. And... Yeah, everybody's standing back a little while Nesbitt is uh, lapping up the uh, attention. And then he actually gets calls them out to the front with him. And everybody's looking around like, whoa, he's never done that before. Yeah. Holding uh, hands together to bow, take their curtain calls. They have become a crew. Yeah. And that's... And that's it. It's like it ends with the final scene where there's like apparently the show has been uh, restarted and it starts exactly as the beginning. Yes, but everything is a little bit more polished. Like it's Galaxy Quest, the next generation, 18 years later, much like uh, Star Trek and the next generation. The special effects look better from the ship on the outside. The bridge looks neater, cleaner. And uh, Lazarus has better makeup. Yes. Chen still remembers to squint. (laughs) <laughs> and now we have introducing Guy Fliegman as security chief Rock what's his Ingersoll. Name? Yeah, yeah. Ingersoll. <laughs> the plucky comic relief. Apparently, like he's a reference to uh, Guy Vandemar Vardaman. I'm not oh. entirely sure. He started off as an extra in Star Trek uh, The Next Generation, but he kept bumping into the same problem, which was people yelling at him, Brent Spiner, why aren't you in makeup? Over and over and over again until right. they realized, oh, Wait, okay, so we've got a photo double for Brent Spiner here. <laughs> and so they kept hiring him as, a, as an extra because, and, and usually, like, he was a hand double for Data. Oh, So okay. anytime that you see, like, Data pushing buttons on the screen with right. in, in close-up, like, that's, Brent Spiner was off having lunch or whatever, and they filmed that with, uh, with Guy. Oh, okay, that's clever. Right up until the movies. Uh. All right, so yes. we, have a, we have a bit of a challenge. She oh. gives me a Woody. She gives you the willies. Oh, that's different. I mean, willies. I don't know if there's willies in right? this. Like, I think maybe those bullies in the toilet and their bad laughter. I think because they're not great actors. Right. I mean, I, I mean, it's the only thing. They're 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 absolutely essential to the plot. Yes. But yeah, that's the only thing that they that could have been. They, they sounded like cliches of you know people yeah. who laugh at fans basically yeah like, look at those lame losers which i mean i think it's pretty brave to like walk into a bathroom and start dissing the con with that your ass right that when there's three klingons standing at the urinals next to you yeah you know that's <laughs> yeah i think that's part of that 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 bully attitude like what are those nerds going to do but i just i just can't understand people who enjoy not enjoying things Life is too short for that. No, absolutely not. Ah, Woody. So I retract. I retract my Willy. Yeah. Those actors were doing their best. They were hired. They were, they, they 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 did the job. They were absolutely essential. Yes, Willy retracted. Ugh. 
Is it cold or something? Is it cold? <laughs> no, it is not. No. It is scorcho. We're sitting here in, in shorts and, and black tank tops, both of us, by the way. Black tank top brigade represent. Kay, oh. this is a perfect film. It is. So, I mean, Woody. I, there's not even a Willy. Or there's no. not even a Woody. No. It's all fantastic. I mean, if anything, I would give it to the to Saris, the makeup, the character design, oh, the creature design, creature, the creature design yeah. on Saris. I think that gets my would get my Woody because yeah, that's no, just that's absolutely ama- because that's absolutely amazing. But Great yes, job, Stan Winston and his team. Everything else was just like it, it, this. This movie is just brilliant. Yeah, let's have a let's have a spin-off <laughs> of him and Natira sort of slutting their way around the universe while they're bickering <laughs> with each other about their taste in men. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. Right. I don't think you're going to get Tim Allen for that, but. <laughs> <laughs> you had to bring me down. I guess I guess there is one willy about this film and I wish Tim Allen was a better person, but oh yeah. well. I I loved it. It was fantastic. It's so good seeing it again, especially with you. Thank you. Um, and with you as well, listeners at home. Like I do hope that you took our advice and paused the podcast and went to watch this this marvelous ode to fandom and could enjoy it with us. And that's the story. And that's the story so far to okay. Yes. Wow. It's- we'll be back next week with a uh, fanfic, and after that with episode 401. Yeah. I don't even know what it's called. It Yes, it's a secret, isn't it? It is a Until secret. Until we get there, uh, we have a bunch of really great uh, synopses already. Hey, y'all, we love the synopses. Watch those character counts, though, because we do have to tweet them. But, yes, a lot to look forward to. It's going to be wild. As usual, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, especially if you have a version of the HBO airing of this film where she says... Frell this. Frell that, yes, exactly, which we desperately want to see. We love to hear from you, whatever you have to share with us. We're at SoFarscape.com, SoFarscape, wherever you get your podcast, SoFarscape.com slash links, where you can get links to supporting us on Patreon, submitting your own synopses, which we love. We're getting some new people that have started recently. Oh, fantastic. Very exciting. You can also suggest fanfics. We're going to be reading another one next week. And as we're approaching, you know, this is the... We're heading into the fourth season, so we have a lot of fanfics that we're actually able to read. Please, please send us your favourites. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. Never give up. Never Never surrender. surrender.